morning, great men and women of God. I'm Susie Bates. I'm the Generations Pastor at our church. What that means is I oversee ages birth to 18 years old. Now, you may be surprised to know that I see a lot of things in that age group, a lot of things. Um, I see our high schoolers' uh, surprising obsession with lip sync battles. I don't know if you guys know what goes on over there, but it's like West Side Story sometimes. They love that stuff. I see our middle schoolers' not-so-surprising obsession with the Gaga Pit. Now, that has nothing to do with Lady Gaga. It kind of is like more to do with dodgeball. It's confusing to watch, but they have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, one Sunday morning, I saw one of our fifth graders kick a giant ball this big smack dab into a huge tray of iced cupcakes. It was like the first five minutes of one of our parties. Every adult in the room, including me, is just like, what just happened? And then I had the great privilege of seeing our very own Josh Ruff, one of our leaders in 56, um, go over to this boy and just respond like Christ would. This kid was so afraid he was about to get like kicked out. Josh just said, what a mess, that was awesome, let's get this cleaned up. And then I saw, not so surprisingly, every one of those kids eat every one of those cupcakes. They didn't care. <laughs> I've had the great privilege of seeing the origin of most of the stains on the carpet over in the student center. Those are our memories, those good times over there. I have seen our youngest grade schoolers fall absolutely in love with these ridiculous characters that Mark Wendell and I portrayed at sports camp. Maybe, I'm kind of hoping you haven't heard or seen anything about this, Spicy Mike and Sweet Tea. Okay, a few of you have. Jeez, we were just sitting around one day, Mark and I were like, let's, let's do something fun, let's be characters. I know, we will be hillbilly, mullet, overall wearing referee mascots for sports camp. That sounds fun. Oh, the kids loved it. It was amazing. Uh, just us staying in character throughout the week really drew them out. It was a beautiful thing to see. Um, I see our teenage girls and teenage boys care for our tiniest church members up in the nursery with tenderness and love that will melt your heart. And then I see incredible, amazing volunteer adult leaders who serve in these ministry areas, um, who, who are being who they needed in their lives when they were, they, when they were a kid, to our kids here today. Um, it is an incredible thing to see. I'm so blessed by that. I see a lot of things. Lately, I've been asking God to help me see others. I've been asking God to help give me the courage to allow myself to be seen. And I remember praying for that very thing for the first time when I was in high school in Ada, Oklahoma. I was young and so was my faith and I was on fire. I wanted to see others like Jesus did, so I began asking God to help me to do that. I was a senior in high school, driving home one night in Ada, Oklahoma. Soon after those prayers started, when I felt an impression on my heart, I felt like God was telling me to go to this specific convenience store gas station. Now, where I come from in rural Oklahoma, these lovely gas stations are called Love's Country Stores. They are not that nice, I promise you. Um, so I head to this Love's. I'm like, God's telling me to go here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't really know what to expect. On my way there, I got another impression. I felt like God was telling me I was going to bump into this particular classmate of mine. 
And I really started to get excited because this classmate used to be more than that. He used to be truly a friend. We grew up going to youth group together. He was a believer. Um, I had seen his faith grow in God. Um, and then when we got to high school, we just kind of found separate friends. Um, he kind of fell away from the faith, got mixed up into a bad crowd, and, and we honestly hadn't talked in years. Um, so I was surprised that his face even came to my mind um, and thinking, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him there tonight? Like, God, what are you doing? Uh, his name is Philip. So here I am asking God to help me see others, and I think God's leading me to this gas station to, to bump into Philip. So I pull into a parking spot. I just sit there for a while, kind of play out the conversation that I think is about to happen in my head. I pray. Nothing happens. I don't really see anybody. I think, okay, 20 minutes have gone by. Maybe I should go inside. I haven't left my car yet. So I go in. Um, I buy what I lived on back then. I was in high school. I don't know how high schoolers do this, but I, I bought like a fountain Dr. Pepper. It was like this size. I'm certain some form of something fried, a candy bar, I don't know what else. Um, I don't see Philip in the store. I don't really see anybody in the store. Go back out to my car, another 20 minutes go by. And I begin to think what I'm sure we've all thought at some point in our lives. Clearly, I did not hear God's voice at all. I must have made this whole thing up. I proceed to beat myself up a little bit as I just drive home. I am so stupid. This is embarrassing. God doesn't work this way. I was so sure I'd heard God clearly. Was he even speaking to me at all? I am never breathing a word of this ridiculous experience to anyone. Yet here I am, years later, telling my entire church about this. Because I think it's important for us to allow ourselves to be seen by each other. The good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes. And I think we can all relate to that in some way. Either by having had that same experience, thinking you feel God leading you to something, only to find out you're wrong, or just by feeling really stupid about who we are sometimes and not wanting anyone to ever know how ridiculous we can be about things in our lives. And I know it's a pretty safe failure of mine to share, but sometimes even the safe stuff is hard to let out, isn't it? We all feel the need to keep others from truly seeing us. It's a lot easier to present the best version of ourselves and kind of keep the messier stuff out of sight. In our text today, we continue to look at this letter Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi, and in it he actually talks about this. We'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there. In verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So when he says keep your eyes on those who live as we do, he means keep your eyes on your fellow believers who are living their lives like us. We can do that. We can keep that command all nice and tidy if all we do is ever show each other the best versions of ourselves. Growing up, that's basically what I understood church to be. We put on our best clothes. We put smiles on our faces. We got cleaned up and presentable. But I'm not sure where that gets us, and I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about here. Because Philippi back then wasn't much different than my past church experiences. Jewish practices were outward expressions of good behavior. Circumcision, observing the Sabbath, following the rules. If you checked all those boxes, you were good. And as good as those things looked back then, Paul actually refers to those who put too much weight on their outward appearances as enemies of Christ. 
They're put together on the outside, but inside, dry bones. So what if when he says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do, he was challenging his friends to truly see each other, to really allow themselves to be seen, to abandon this notion that their outward achievements were what mattered most. Now that gets us somewhere else entirely. Because something special happens when we are transparent with each other. Something meaningful and holy sparks when we are vulnerable with each other, when we keep our eyes on each other. A speaker and author that I love, Brene Brown, told a story of a time she was speaking on vulnerability. This is like her favorite topic. Um, she met with the sign language interpreters before her talk. And they said, hey, we're actually having a hard time coming up with a sign for this word vulnerable that you keep using. Um, and she said, okay, well, what do, you, what, what do you have? And they said, this is the best we can come up with. And it's like a person standing whose like, knees are buckling. Weak kneed is what they said that translate as. Um, I think that sounds perfect. That's how I feel when I am being vulnerable. Uh, but Brene said, nah, that's not really what I'm going for. Um, could you guys try something else? So they conferred, and they came back, and they said, how about this? Open-hearted. She said, that's what I'm going for. Do that. I think it's funny that when we are the ones being vulnerable, we feel very weak need. But when we see someone else leading out in that vulnerability, man, I bet we would all describe that as open-hearted. That is inspiring. People typically don't look to written codes for clues on how to behave. They look to others. That's why we're so impacted when we see someone living their life out in an open-hearted way. It prompts us to do the same. And I think that's what Paul meant. Keep your eyes on those people. This us we've been talking about, it just doesn't flourish like it should unless we allow ourselves to be truly seen by each other, unless we are open-hearted. And the list of reasons why our natural instinct is to keep that from happening at all costs is literally a mile long. In fact, without even realizing it, we likely spend most of our lives on a mission of self-preservation. And we likely learned that skill by watching others do it. We're keeping our eyes on those who acted one way and felt quite another inside. We learn how to present ourselves well. We learn how to keep the darkness in our souls hidden from others. But this mission is futile. And this mission that we think helps keep others in our lives, it actually prevents us from finding the us that we long for. This mission of self-preservation is doomed from the start. We all know we can't keep that up. At some point, it all comes crumbling down. It's like we are trying to canoe the mountains. I'm reading a book with that title, Canoeing the Mountains, and it's blowing my heart wide open. The book actually follows Lewis and Clark's exploration of what is now the western portion of the United States. Their mission was to find the direct waterway across the continent. These guys were masters in the water. They were river explorers. That's why they were hired for this job. After 15 months of canoeing upstream, Lewis and Clark finally found the source of the mighty Missouri River. They believed that this river would lead them downhill in a gentle sloping stream that would drop them off in the west. They dreamed of coasting downstream to the finish line. The hard work would be over. But to their heart's dismay, instead of a river route to the Pacific Ocean, 
they saw our beautiful Rocky Mountains, snowy peak after snowy peak, as far as I could see, and they did not describe them as beautiful. In fact, one member of their party wrote, they were the most terrible mountains I ever beheld. See, their instinct was that the western half of the United States was the same as the eastern half. Their mental model was wrong. They would have to change their survival techniques, or they would die. They would have to give up their expectations, or they would be brokenhearted. They would have to reframe their entire mission, or they would fail. Their true adventure, the real discovery, was just beginning. And it looked nothing like they thought it would. And this is exactly what happens in our hearts when we come to the end of our own mental models of self-preservation. After months, even years, of keeping others from seeing our true selves, we become weary of paddling that boat upstream. And just when we think we've got everyone convinced that this is who we truly are, we realize we've got to canoe over mountains to keep this up. We begin to see that this tool we've always used is actually keeping us from experiencing the us that we long for. We can't keep that up. Canoeing the mountains is impossible. So what is the truth we need to see and hear? Let's get into the rest of this text and see what Paul has to say. We're going to back up and start at verse 15 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul is continuing his letter to his friends, and he says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Now he's referring to the verses just before this, uh, where he mentions pressing on to the goal, forgetting what is behind us, and striving for what lies ahead. And that plays a part in us truly seeing each other. It requires us forgetting what lies behind us, those past experiences that are screaming at us to not let others see what's going on inside. But what lies behind us is not what lies ahead. And to take that view requires some maturity. Paul goes on, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love that Paul is just like, well, if you disagree with me, then God will make you see. I try to pull that out with my husband when we're arguing. It doesn't seem to go over as well as it does here. <laughs> In verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And this is probably my favorite verse in this entire passage, and I'm pretty sure I've overlooked it my entire lives. The ability to truly see each other, to live open-hearted, the ability to stop trying to keep things under the surface, this ability is already ours. No doubt, the greatest need among God's people is to live up to what we already have in Christ. And here comes our focus for the day in verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Keep your eyes on me, and keep your eyes on those around you who live as we do. Paul wasn't perfect. He says himself just a few verses prior that he has not arrived at the goal, that he puts no confidence in the flesh. He knows how short he falls. This is him leading his friends in transparency and vulnerability. He's calling out his own weakness, but he also knows what he already has in Christ. He's just letting himself be seen. And it's not all pretty, but it's what's true, and it's inspiring. He understands the great value in truly seeing each other. He wants them to experience true community. In being seen, he has found an us. He wants his friends to find an us. When we allow ourselves to be seen by each other, we find the us that 
we long for. What will we see when we allow ourselves to be truly seen by each other? I don't know the answer to that. It could be really scary. It will definitely be really messy. It could be really beautiful. It will be true. And it will lead us to that us that we all long for. It reminds me of a beautiful story that I heard Bob Goff share at a conference. Bob is a captivating writer and a really extraordinary speaker, and this picture sums him up perfectly. He's just, he's nuts. He's a riot to listen to. He is an incredible example of living life open-hearted. He wrote a really impactful book called Love Does, and I kid you not, he prints his phone number at the end of every single copy of this book, his personal cell phone number that he has on his person. He answers calls all day from any and everyone who calls him. And he talks about this and he just laughs. He's like, I don't ever get a thing done. I just talk to people all, all, all day on the phone. It's great. I mean, talk about living open-hearted. Bob is good at making space to truly see others. Well, I thought about it for several months, and I finally got up the nerve to give him a call a few weeks ago. And he actually answered. I was so excited. We had a delightful conversation. I told him what I was preaching on, and I asked him if I could use this story that I've heard him share. He was excited I wanted to use it. We talked about a lot of really beautiful and hilarious things. That's for another time. Back to Bob's story. So he had spent a couple of months out of the country on a mission trip. And while he was away, uh, he began to get um, like an eye infection. Like it started out small, kind of progressively got worse and worse. Um, and he was approaching the end of his lengthy trip and he thought, I'm just gonna wait till I get back to the States. I'm gonna go see my own doctor. Um, by the time he got home, his eye was swollen shut. He couldn't even see out of it. So he gets to his doctor. His doctor is like, Bob, you have made a terrible mistake. You've waited too long. You are going to need multiple surgeries to hopefully get your eyesight back. And so Bob proceeds to uh, go through all these surgeries. And he said that every time he was about to go into a surgery, you know, he would have the conversation with the doctor beforehand, and he would ask the same question. Doc, how much will I be able to see after this one? And the doctor would have the same answer every time. I don't know, Bob, but I do know this. You will see more. You will see more. I've been praying about this a lot lately, asking God to help me truly see others and asking God to help me allow myself to be truly seen. And this prayer never fixes me. But whenever I'm praying this, I see more. I see more of God, I see more of others, I see more of myself, I see more of that us that is God's dream for his children. So here's my invitation to you. Ask God to help you truly see others. And ask God to help you have the courage to let yourself be seen. I don't know exactly what you'll see when you pray that prayer, but I do know you will see more. Without seeing and being seen, there is no us. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Allow others to see you live. Let it out. Let others in. Don't drag your canoe through the mountains. Abandon that thing. Embrace this new mission that Paul is calling his friends to in this letter. I told you I prayed this prayer once when I was in high school, and I thought God was answering that prayer by leading me to that Love's Country store. I thought I would pray that prayer and then see the gentle sloping downstream river I could put my boat in and coast to the finish line. Instead, I just saw a bunch of mountains. 
and my heart was dismayed, and I felt foolish. Those feelings would come back every time I would drive by that Love's Country store. But I eventually moved away to college. My parents left town, moved here to Colorado Springs, so I didn't really have a reason to go back to my hometown for a long time. I was spared the reminder of that evening's events for a while. But about 15 years after I left, I found myself headed back to Ada, Oklahoma to visit some friends. I was doing photography at the time, and I told them I would take some family pictures of their family. Um, we had planned to meet in the country at this old bridge. It made for a beautiful spot, but the timing was, was really important. If you do photography, you understand that. So I was kind of in a hurry, rushing into town. I'd been driving for a while. I wanted to stop, use the restroom, get some water and snacks before meeting them out in the country for a few hours. As I approached town, I realized that the only convenience store that was not out of my way was the good old Love's Country Store. Enough time had gone by. I had let go of that. I just kind of laughed it off, pulled in and parked. I went inside, used the restroom, grabbed some water and a pack of peanuts. My purchases from that store have changed in 15 years, I'm glad to say. Uh, <laughs> while I was standing in line, I was, just, I was thinking about God and his ways. I was thinking about how sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers like we think he will. How sometimes our mental models are just wrong. And we have to reshape what we now know to be true. How we have to reframe the mission. We have to learn to hike the mountains instead of canoe rivers like we've always done. I was looking at the man standing in line in front of me, and I was thinking about my friend Philip. This guy kind of reminded me of how I thought he would look all these years later. Tall, lanky, ball cap. He paid for his things, and as he walked out, I got a glimpse of his profile. But as I set my things on the counter for the cashier to ring me up, I feel like everything began to slow down. I saw a bunch of things all at once. My friendship with Philip, my prayers to be better at seeing others, the night I sat in the parking lot at this loves, my frustration at God and my own foolishness. And with all that going on in my head at once, God may as well have been screaming at me. That was Philip. He just walked out right in front of you. As the cashier repeats the total that I owe for like the third time, I say, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I leave my very boring snacks on the counter. I ran out of there like I stole something into the parking lot, and I'm like scanning frantically to find this man I had seen. I spotted a truck about to pull out of the parking lot. The window was down. He had his arm on the windowsill. I said, Philip, and he turned his head, and there he was. It's Philip. He's at the Love's Country Store. And so was I, the exact picture that God had painted in my heart 15 years prior. Philip says, Susie, what are you doing? I wish I could tell you that I said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I prophesied and the spirit came down and everyone there was converted. No, I was just like, I don't know. I mean, I do know I'm, I'm here to see some friends, but now you're here. I'm looking at you. I can't believe this. It's getting a little awkward now because I'm like freaking out. Um, a car pulls up behind him uh, to leave. He's about to pull out and I realize I have like seconds here. I'd left my phone in my car. I said, Philip, I have to talk to you. Can, can you take my number down? Are you on Facebook? Of course he's like, I don't do Facebook. I, I don't even understand that. Um, he, I don't think he even had a cell phone. He digs around in the floorboard of his truck and pulls out like a piece of trash and a pencil and scrawls my number on it, off he goes. Man, 
I go back to my car and I just sit there very much like I had done 15 years prior. I am not feeling weak need at all. I'm feeling very open-hearted. But I'm also hoping I didn't blow it. What was it that God wanted me to say to him anyway? I don't even know. Will he actually call me? I probably totally freaked him out. Well, he called me a couple of days later. I told him the whole story. I said, Philip, I can't believe I actually saw you there. He said, Susie, I can't believe how good it feels to be seen. He said, I've been wrestling with God for months. He, he wants me to leave this town. I've got to get out of here. It's not good for me, and I haven't been listening. And just seeing you and hearing this, I just I feel like God sees me. I'm going to do it. And he did. He moved away. He found a home church. He's doing really well. I don't know what you'll see if you start asking God to help you see others. But I do know you will see more. In this letter, Paul was saying to his friends, you know me, you've seen me, good and bad. Imitate me. And imitate people who live open-hearted like I do. Living our lives open-hearted towards each other, allowing ourselves to be seen, is really hard to do. Sometimes it feels like trying to canoe the mountain. But it's what matters in this life. Connection to God, connection to each other, that's the us we long for. And if we're honest with ourselves, we long to be seen. We've got to let go of those mental models that don't serve us. We've got to abandon the mission of self-preservation for the greater mission of discovery and growth and community. I had to put this into practice last year when a friend of mine invited me to be in one of our women's small groups. We call them IF tables. It's uh, a breakaway from our women's IF conference. I didn't know any women in the group, not a single one, except for my friend Janae, who invited me. And I had a long list of excuses why I did not want to be in a women's small group. They probably won't like me. I probably won't fit in. I'm a terrible hostess. I don't have the time. But I felt God gently reminding me that this mental model that I cling to does not serve me. And as soon as I let go of that canoe, I could see very clearly that this group was something that I needed. In fact, it was something that I wanted. I had a really wonderful year with these ladies. I'd like to introduce you to a couple of them right now. If you guys would please welcome Janae and Andrea. These are gals from my small group. Yeah, give them a round of applause. <laughs> so like I said, we were in a small group together for just over a year. And um, we truly did experience exactly what I've been talking about. Um, in fact, we experienced that right out of the gate, like from the very first night, I remember so well, um, we just jumped right in. Uh, so I'll start with you, Andrea. What, what do you remember about that first night? So just like you, Susie, I didn't know any of the ladies either in the small group, but what I did know, and I think all of us knew what was what if table was about, which is basically a gathering of women over a table and going deeper together at that time. So we had come for that, I had come for that, I needed that, we all wanted that. And that first night we decided to just tell our stories over the table and our stories were all really different. Um, we heard that night from singleness to divorce to marriage difficulties and 
infertility and raising children and losing loved ones. And it really rang true, like the power of our story is telling our story together. Right. I think our stories are meant to be carried in community. Um, and I agree that's what made it so powerful um, from the first night. And, and the fact that our stories were so different um, and made our time together just that much richer. Janae, what do you remember most about one of our times? Um, I think one of the main things that I remember uh, is just that we didn't have an agenda. We didn't want to fix each other. And that's kind of a big thing for me with friends. So if I meet a new friend, this might sound mean, but if you try to fix me, I, I won't really yeah. follow up. I don't want to be your friend because yeah. I don't want to be fixed. I just want to be accepted. And so this time together, we could all come with our story, with our heart, with our mess, um, and we would champion each other. And I, I never felt fixed or like I was just someone else's yeah. priority, or yeah. not priority, project. project. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was a safe place to be known and seen just for who we are. Mm -hmm. um, Andrea, I know you talked about how you felt like you were known and seen there. Yeah, I think usually with strangers, which we really were the first night, um, or just new friendships, it's easy to hold our story close. And maybe we all do this a little bit where we, um, we kind of gauge our openness on the other person's openness. So if they're vulnerable, I'm going to be vulnerable. And really that first night and setting the tone for every other night we met was really a time of wanting to be seen and really finding that we were seen um, by the other ladies. Yeah, and I think you mentioned this, just I think as women, we, we are really good at excuses. And so we can make the excuse of, I'm gonna put everyone else before me, I'm gonna take care of my kids, or my husband, or pets, or the house, or anything, and then we're last. Or we can say, um, well, I'm just, I'm too tired, and I won't be accepted, and so we go in there. Or we wanna be superwoman, and we wanna like, be enough without having to have community around us. Yeah. yeah, I think we all came with that list of excuses, but somehow we, we got over that really quick. Like, how did we combat that? I, Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but exactly. I feel like, other than Jesus, we were all ready to commit. We all needed it so bad, and so we carved these two hours into our lives like they were a natural part of our schedule. And so, like, eating or showering, we, like, these two hours a month, like they were just there yeah. and we knew that they were coming. And then because it was only two hours, I think all of us approached it and said, we only have two hours. Like we need to dig deep right away. And so even within the first 30 seconds or a minute, sometimes we would be crying right. about something or we'd be connecting on something deep. Like you'd walk yeah. through the door and say, hey, how's this about your heart? Like I wanna follow it up. Yeah, yeah that's right to the point. Yeah, so. yeah, I think, I think that's what, um, what did it? I think I think God blessed us because we made that commitment. Just two hours a month. That that was so simple for us to do. Like why did why did we feel like that was something we couldn't handle? And and making that commitment and just taking that what was for us just the next step in reaching out to true community. Um, I believe God blessed it, and we had an amazing time. We've taken a natural break um, for several months and just been talking in preparation for this this morning. We were just like we've got to get back together. It's good stuff. I'm, I'm thankful for you guys in my life, and I have a safe place to be known and seen, um, and I know this church is a safe place to be known and seen. Um, so I'd love to close us in prayer as, as Roland and the band come back up and um, just ask for God's blessing on us.
God, thank you so much for these friends in my life. I thank you that you express your great love and pursuit of me through them. Please give me the courage, God, to continue to let them in and see me. I pray, God, for each soul in this room that you would just make clear what the next step is for each of us, that next step, step of faith towards community, towards seeing others and being seen. God, I pray that you would help us um, just to believe what you say, that you are here in the midst of us. And I pray you'd bless this next song as we worship you and think about what we've heard. In Jesus' name.